The following podcast is produced or sponsored by a community member. The content, views, and opinions expressed are those of the participants and do not reflect those of BMC or the town of Belmont. BMC welcomes your comments. Call us at 617-484-2443 or email us at access at belmontmedia.org. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's edition of Community Conversations. I'm your host, Roger Colton. Today, I've invited all three candidates for Belmont's Board of Selectmen to join me. We are recording separate half-hour segments with each candidate. The three candidates are Roy Epstein, Jesse Bennett, and Tim Flood. The audio version of these podcasts will be available on the Belmont Media website, belmontmedia.org, and a television version will be available not only on the website, but will also be broadcast multiple times on the Belmont Media Center's television stations. You can review the weekly programming schedule for Belmont Media at belmontmedia.org to find the day and time of the broadcast at the time most convenient to, to you. Today I'm speaking with Roy Epstein, one of the candidates for the Board of Selectmen. Roy, welcome to Community Conversations. Hi, Roger. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, before we really get into the meat of our conversations, can you give me a, a brief introduction uh, to who, who you are? Yes, uh, very brief. Uh, I'm from New Jersey originally. I grew up in New Jersey. I went to college at Wesleyan in Connecticut. Then I went to graduate school and got my Ph.D. in economics from Yale. Met Joanna. And we moved to Chicago. We got married in Chicago. Had two boys. Uh, Joanna got a job offer from Harvard at that point. We moved back to Boston so she could take up that position. Uh, and I was working as an economic consultant as a damages expert in litigation cases. We moved to Belmont uh, from Chicago in 1994, and we've been here ever since. Today we're going to talk about four substantive uh, areas, the budget, capital expenditures, the environment, and town governance. That, that's a lot to cover in a half hour, but yes. uh, uh, I, I would like to ask you to keep your, your answers brief and to the point, as uh, the town moderator has often told all of us, uh, when you give your answer, give your headline first, and then if you have an explanation uh, uh, that you want to provide, go ahead and provide it. I'll do my best. Uh, let's start with the town budget. Uh, last August, the Collins Center forecasted a $2.3 million deficit in fiscal year 2021, which begins on July 1 of 2020. I don't want to talk with you about the budget generically. What I do want to ask you specifically is this. Just a couple of years ago now, Belmont voters approved an operating override that allowed a property tax increase. At the time of the override, there were folks that said there was a substantial potential for savings in the Belmont budget. Do you agree with that? And if so, what are two places where you believe that there can uh, that savings can be found? Well, I'm not sure what savings you're referring to from a number of years ago. Uh, looking forward, um, I think there's a potential for savings in potentially regionalizing or outsourcing some services. And that's been a topic for quite a long time, but I'm, I'm hopeful that more progress can be made that way in the next couple of years. Uh, secondly, I think we just have to look everywhere, that means on the town side and the school side, 
to see whether service delivery can be improved, whether that means eliminating positions or changing the way we do business. Uh, I'm fearful about cutting services because we've cut a lot of services already, but finding efficiencies is something we always have to be looking out for. Okay, in its 2015 report to town meeting, so going back a couple of years, the town's warrant committee, uh, which you didn't chair at the time, but you now chair, reported that fire suppression constitutes nearly 90% of Belmont's fire department budget. In contrast, out of the roughly 4,700 incidents in which the fire department responded to, only 2.4% involved fires. Another 50% involved ambulance, and another 20 uh, another 20% involved life support. Given that data, how do you respond to the notion that perhaps it's time to move to a public safety department rather than having separate fire and police departments? I'm not sure what the potential for savings from, from combining the two would be because uh, the fire and police services do uh, are separate services. There's a lot of overlap within the fire department between fire suppression and emergency response because it's the same staff often that make those calls. So uh, there's one question about whether uh, the fire department operations could be further streamlined, but whether there's uh, a lot of potential for combining police and fire, I'm not so sure. Okay, let's, uh, let's talk about the capital budget. And I'm not going to respond with questions. It's okay. not that I'm not listening to you, yeah. but I, I want to make these conversations uh, as identical as possible between uh, candidates. Sure, but Roger, if I could add, um, given the urgency of the budget issues that are facing us, I don't think we should uh, uh, exclude any topic from consideration. So when I say I don't think it's likely, I still think it should be examined, and then we'll see where it goes. Okay. Well, let's talk about the capital budget uh, mm -hmm. for a minute. Uh, the library board or the library building committee has hired an now hired an architect, uh, and the intent is to build a new library on the existing location on Concord Ave. Uh, a couple of years ago, the cost of, the of a new library was projected to be $23.4 million if construction began this year in 2019. Do you agree with the recommendation that Belmont move forward with a new library, and if so, when? Well, the building committee has been formed, and I believe they should present a proposal as soon as they're able. Uh, given the magnitude of the cost, and I, in the end it may be more than $23 million when this proposal is really fully developed. It's something that will require a debt exclusion, and uh, that's an open question about when is the best time to present a debt exclusion that has the best chances of passing. I would like to see a new library, but since it would probably require, or almost certainly require, a vote from the electorate, the question is how can we be most confident that that will be successful? Okay, and do you have a, uh, an idea of, in your own mind of when that might happen? Not specifically. Uh, it is unfortunately uh, probably likely that, in, that an operating override will be necessary fairly near. As you mentioned, uh, there's 
Collins Center has identified a deficit that may emerge already in fiscal 21. Uh, I don't know that the voters have uh, an appetite for an operating override and a significant debt exclusion for the library at the same time, but I, that certainly has to be a topic of discussion. The library itself, as I understand it, still will take some time to finalize their uh, design on the site and there's going to be a significant component of fundraising which still has to be identified and uh, figure out what the potential is for private fundraising so the size of the debt exclusion will be clear. So, you know, that's not going to happen this year or not, maybe not even next year. So I think it's probably likely to be fiscal, let me get my fact, uh, numbers straight, probably f around fiscal 21 or 22 at the earliest. Uh, but I think the main thing is to develop a proposal that has the greatest likelihood of success. Okay, and let's go back to the override for a minute because uh, I did uh, skip over that. Uh, mm -hmm. A couple of years ago, the town passed an override, approved an, an operating uh, budget override, and it was uh, project, pre projected to last uh, a number of years, and we've squeezed out some extra years. Is, am I on track thus far? Yes. yes. Uh, when do you expect that override to run out, if I can use that terminology? Uh, when, when do you expect to need to go back for another override, an operating override? Well, it, it may be as early as next spring, because the original override was projected to last three years, and, and we've gotten five. We're, we're going to get five out of it, but I don't think we're going to get six. Okay, and do you have a feel at this point? Is it reasonable to think about what the the size of a new override might be? I think we have to start thinking about it, but I don't have a number in mind just yet. I haven't tried to identify that yet. Okay. <clears throat> One of my questions it has to do with both the, uh, an operating override and uh, uh, a capital budget uh, debt exclusion. Uh, there's really no question but that uh, we have buildings that need to be replaced. I mean, the library needs to be replaced, and that's unquestionably going to cost money and money that's not in the existing budget. On the other hand, we have certain residents who, uh, particularly aging, I think people uh, worry about, who have lived here their entire lives who simply can't afford an increased tax bill. Uh, as a member of the Board of Selectmen, of course, you would be in the middle of balancing those competing uh, uh, considerations. So how, how do you do that? What, what can you do when there's money that has to be had and people who can't afford to pay it? Well, that, of course, Roger, is one of the most uh, difficult questions that the Board of Selectmen has to deal with. And uh, my own thinking at this point is to work from at least two di different directions. Uh, just from talking to a lot of seniors and going door to door during this campaign, uh, it's clear that seniors are differently situated. There are people who are financially well off. There are people who are financially uh, struggling, let's say. There are people who would like to stay in their own home there are people who would prefer to downsize to something that's more manageable and maybe more suited given just their physical or medical conditions as they age. So there are many uh, 
there are many different types of requirements for different people. I would like to see development of additional housing uh, that would be suitable for people who would like to stay in Belmont but in a smaller and more manageable place. And at the same time, I've been given a lot of thought to uh, what uh, possibilities there may be to make it easier for somebody to stay, to stay in their own home. And I can tell you that I've been talking to certain banks in Belmont to explore the possibility for new financing options. And I'm hopeful that something will emerge from that. Unfortunately, uh, I, don't, I can't say right now how that will turn out because these discussions are still in an early stage. But I'm hopeful that by later this year, there will be a concrete proposal to offer in that department. And a new financing option, can you explain what you mean by that? That sounds like a term of art. So, Well, yeah. Uh, in essence, it would be because there are uh, many of the seniors have a lot of equity in their, in their homes. And it's, but it's difficult to access that equity. What I'm thinking of is a way for s seniors to borrow uh, in a limited way and, and in a low-cost way against the equity they have in their home that would not be an impediment uh, to staying in the home, would be something that would be manageable. Uh, the existing programs, say, to defer property tax, uh, have the major problem that many people just don't qualify for them. So I'm trying to think of a program that would actually have a pretty broad uh, base of eligibility and would allow seniors to address the most pressing financial needs at a reasonable cost. And that's, but that's my project for the next few months. That's great. Thank you. Let's move to talk about the environment for uh, a couple of minutes. Sure. Um, not too long ago, the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency released its assessment of water quality for the Mystic River watershed. Mm -hmm. And the EPA found that of the 21 communities in the Mystic River watershed, Belmont's waterways in particular were in horrible shape. Uh, one of the primary sources of the offending pollution was what EPA called uncontrolled water, uh, urban stormwater runoff. Mm -hmm. uh, nearly all state and federal programs that provide money to help local governments uh, upgrade stormwater systems require matching local dollars. But because Belmont's current system of paying for stormwater is through its rates, and uh, rates are not considered to uh, be viewed an adequate funding stream, uh, Belmont can't use its rates to uh, obtain uh, state and federal grant funding. Given this, would you support the creation of a stormwater utility to improve the quality of Belmont stormwater runoff? That's one of those issues, issues where I would say yes in principle, and then the devil is in the details and exactly how the fee is structured and what the magnitude should be is something which, to my knowledge right now, is a little hard to pin down because there's no... The first question is, or let me say the first uh, objective, is that Belmont, if I were selectman, would meet whatever requirements it's required to meet and on time, and we'd have to do whatever is necessary to meet those requirements. And a stormwater fee, I expect, would be part of that, but exactly how large a fee is necessary uh, that would be in the best interest of Belmont in terms of qualifying for additional funding and uh, not being an excessive financial burden, but in the end meeting the requirements, that's something that, that the next board is going to have to wrestle with. 
and there are, can you ex, uh, expand on the considerations, uh, the size of the fee and how it's structured? Uh, what do you mean by that? Well, my understanding is that uh, Belmont will be subject to regulations from EPA and, and also state regulations, but the, the full um, implications of those regulations is not exactly clear right now. And I think as, as soon as the requirements that we have to meet are spelled out in black and white and the timing is set down, then we can think about the fee that's necessary to get us there. Okay. Let's talk about uh, climate change for a minute. In May of 2016, the state's Supreme Judicial Court ruled in the case Kane v. Massachusetts Department of Environmental Protection that the state has not done enough to meet the mandates of the state's 2008 Global Warming Solutions Act. Mm -hmm. uh, SJC Justice Robert Cordy described the language of the Global Warming Solutions Act as unambiguous and said it requires the state to establish limits in multiple greenhouse gas emission sources that must decline on an annual basis. In light of this SJC decision, since the Board of Selectmen also sits as the board of the Belmont Light uh, Department, do you support the recommendations of the Belmont Energy Committee, which I chair, to disclose uh, mm -hmm. to folks, uh, to move Belmont Light to a 100% emission-free supply source by the year 2022? Well, Roger, as you also know, I, I sit on the, uh, the Light, Light Board, board Advisory, Advisory Committee. Committee, and we reviewed your proposal. Uh, I think everybody on the Light Board Advisory Committee wants to see Belmont move to uh, a zero emission, zero carbon emissions as soon as practicable. The concern is that the, the, the supply of totally carbon-free emissions is limited. It's growing, but it's limited, and every other community in Massachusetts is wrestling with the same issue. So it just... It, the question is, is it economically feasible to actually get there by 2022, given the growth uh, in, in the available supply? And I would say I support uh, the goal of carbon-free emissions, but if it meant rates rising by a factor of three or four, and I have no idea what the effect would be, I would have reservations about that, because there are other, there are other things we can do to also significantly lower our carbon footprint not looking just at electricity in isolation. And that might be a better um, strategy as a whole. And, and I, just to make sure that people don't come out of this saying Roy Epstein suggested that rates might go up three or three or four times. That was just picking a number uh, out of the air. Well, it's worse than that. I, nobody, nobody knows right now, but right. it's clear that every community in Massachusetts is under – yeah, has the great interest and is under some pressure to increase their uh, reliance on non-carbon emissions. And particularly with solar and wind, uh, those facilities are growing, but it's not at all clear that they would be able to replace all of our gas-fired uh, electricity by 2022. And do you have an opinion on what action, immediate action steps uh, maybe should occur? Well, I can tell you that uh, Belmont Light is taking advantage of um, non-carbon energy contracts as they become available. I, I think we've taken all of them that I know of. Uh, but 
right now it is still a minority of the portfolio. And I don't, I just don't know that it's possible to fully convert by 2022. But the intent certainly is to do it as quickly as possible. Okay. Let's talk about town governance for a few minutes. And let's stay with uh, Belmont Light. Uh, yeah. uh, last year, uh, the uh, town meeting considered a proposal to expand the number of uh, members on the Board of Selectmen. And one of the arguments that was made, and I am going to bring this back to Belmont Light, yeah, one okay. of the arguments that was made was that the job of being a member of the Board of Selectmen had become uh, too big. But part of that job is also being a member of the light board that governs uh, Belmont Light. And there's some conversation now about splitting off the light board into a separate governing board. Mm -hmm. do, do you have an opinion about whether that should be done, and if so, how? Uh, Roger, you know, I always try to take a pragmatic view of these governance issues, and I can tell you some years ago, uh, I thought the management of Belmont Light was deficient enough that I was seriously considering whether it was advisable to, to sell off Belmont Light as a whole um, because I'm, I didn't think Belmont was managing it uh, well enough. And uh, since that time, we've actually made enormous strides. We've hired a new general manager who's great. The Board of Selectmen is more involved now uh, with light board issues. And it doesn't have the same urgency in my mind that it did a few years ago. So in a kind of steady-as-she-goes policy, I don't see that as a real priority now just because things are going so well. Okay. Are there other offices in uh, town government that are currently elected that you believe uh, uh, should instead be appointed, or would you leave things uh, elsewhere in town government the same as well? Are you thinking of a specific office? Uh, the the town treasurer, the this. I mean, I, I don't want to get my biases out yeah. here, but <laughs> the library board, the cemetery commission. Uh, in general, I think the elected system is working well. You know, I actually spoke up. Maybe you know uh, at a recent board of selectmen meeting about the specific issue of the town treasurer. And one speaker at that meeting said that it didn't really seem to make much of a difference whether a treasurer was elected or appointed, why not make it appointed? And what I said at the time was, it often seems that it doesn't make much difference, but sometimes it really does make a difference. And I can tell you that in my experience on the building committee for the DPW and the police station, the independence of the town treasurer actually was a very important factor. And I think if the, if the treasurer was not independent, the eventual scheme, I'll call it a scheme, um, for financing that project made, actually might have been endangered. So I think the independence of an elected treasurer is actually a very important asset. Okay. Uh, Patrice Garvin, our town administrator, recently hired a, a new or filled a new staff position, the, uh, the uh, town's budget director. Uh, given that we now have a specific staff person devoted exclusively to the budget in addition to the town administrator, what would you envision your role, not your role, let's not personalize it, the role of the Board of Selectmen to be 
in relation to uh, the town staff in preparing and presenting a town budget to town meeting? Well, I think the most important role of the Board of Selectmen is uh, devising overall policies, and then uh, Patrice and certainly the budget director then would implement those policies. Um, so that, that's what I see as the major contribution of the Board of Selectmen. Then, of course, there's a day-to-day -day oversight that I think the Board of Selectmen should exercise. I think the uh, ability of the Board to do that is a function of their own temperament, time, and training. Some people are more interested in some, and able, and some people are not. And I, but I hope a Board would always be involved in a $120 million or more budget because ultimately the town administrator and the staff is, is very lean. And I think it never hurts to have an extra pair of eyes, or in this case, six extra eyes, <laughs> look over their shoulder. I think one of the uh, problems uh, in Board of Selectmen races or maybe in election campaigns generally is that people often get caught up in the, the nitty-gritty uh, of issues. Uh, so I'd like to take us up to 30 or 40 or 50,000 uh, feet for a minute. Uh, former New York Governor uh, Mario Cuomo once stated a quote that I love. Uh, Cuomo said that you campaign in poetry, but you govern in prose. Have you ever heard? Uh, uh, no, I'm just wondering if I even meet the first standard. <laughs> <laughs> What's your reaction uh, to that? Uh, you think you're campaigning in prose as well. Did I? If, if it's even that good, sure. <laughs> um, I'm wondering how to answer that question. I, I'm not sure if poetry means making kind of lofty statements that could never be implemented. I, I guess I've never, I'm not that kind of person. I, I think about, especially when you live in a place for 25 years, and you talk to a lot of people, you think, well, what's good and what needs fixing? And then how can you really go about it and make it happen and not just talk? So for me, there's actually not a bright line between the campaign and being in office, because I, I hope one would be the logical consequence of the other. That's great. Finally, we're running out of time here, but oh, okay. uh, I'm going to try something I've never tried in one of these podcasts before. We're going to have a lightning round. Okay. And... This is just uh, for, uh, for fun, uh, really. And I'm going to give you two choices, and without explanation, uh, let's hear your, your choices. Okay. Okay. There are 10 of them. Winter vacations or summer vacations? Summer vacations. Poker or chess? Chess. The Beatles or the stone? Stones? Oh, I, unfair. <laughs> unfair. <laughs> Baseball or football? Baseball. The beach or the mountains? Uh, that's like a Beatles Stones question. Okay. Red wine or white wine? Red. Peanut butter and jelly or ham and cheese? Mm, ham and cheese, I would say. Coke or Pepsi? Neither. Beer. <laughs> Pancakes or waffles? Waffles if the griddle is good. <laughs> Mac or PC? Well, uh, I have my PC, but I have regrets some days. <laughs> That's great. That's 10. Thanks for, uh, for doing that. I, I think that was kind of fun. And the clock indeed has run out on us. Uh, it has been fun and interesting to have you on Community Conversations today. 
again, I know you're you're busy. You're busy with your day to day life, and you're busy with campaigning. So, I really do appreciate you taking time to come over here today. Well, thank you, Roger. It's always stimulating to talk to you too. I've been speaking today with Roy Epstein, one of three candidates for Belmont's Board of Selectmen, in a special edition of Community Conversation. I should note that Roy's opponents are also appearing on identical podcasts being taped today as well. You can access the conversations with all three candidates through the Belmont Media Center's website, belmontmedia.org. A video of our podcast session will also be rebroadcast any number of times on the Belmont Media Center's television stations. You can find the broadcast time by looking up Community Conversations in the TV listings on the BMC website. Today's conversations with Board of Selectmen candidates Roy Epstein, Jesse Bennett, and Tim Flood is a special edition of Community Conversations. I will be back with you for our regular Community Conversations podcast next week. I'm your Community Conversations host, Roger Colton. Thank you for listening.